back in our series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And today we're going to look at one very, very important ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it it's, relates to our adoption. And that is why the Spirit is sometimes referred to as the Spirit of Adoption. Our generation has lost its sense of identity, especially when it has rejected God as creator. People today are like a cast, like a cast of characters. They're on the stage of life, but they're without a script. They seek to discover their identity by asking these kinds of questions. Who am I? Who, I? who am I in this play? But before that question can be answered, they need to ask this question first. Whose am I? Their identity can only be known by the scriptwriter and the director of the play. And here's where our identity must begin. We were all lost Wayward sinners, orphans, until the day God came along and he adopted us. What a wonderful thought. Orphans long to be loved, valued, accepted, and cared for. And so do we. This week, Ronnie and Ashley Dolly are in China, and they're trying to adopt a 14-year-old uh, young boy with cerebral palsy named Jiang Chun. And can you imagine this boy's excitement? Excitement to know that now he has a home, to know that he now has a family, Matter of fact, this family is demonstrating in some ways, I would say, an example of unconditional redemptive love. This is the kind of love that God has for us. Jesus promised, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's a promise. So we're not alone on the celestial ball. We are not here without a purpose. Instead, The Lord assures us of his eternal plan, his plan to have a forever family. G.I. Packer, who writes often on theological issues, wrote in a very practical way about the doctrine of adoption. He says this, This God, by his grace, has made us members of his family. Surely here is abundant reason for us to worship God, our Father. He says, in fact, that is the primary reason he created us. The creator made us to worship him. And in order that we might be grateful worshipers, he made us sons and daughters. You see, God's children, we, are the special objects of God's divine love and eternal plan. Contemplating God's love and our need increases the wonder 
of our adoption. There are two important uh, yardsticks of God's love. Sometimes I talk about this when I go to other countries to talk about adoption, our adoption in Christ. In China, where this boy is being adopted, when I teach about adoption, many of the pastors will say to me, Pastor Don, we can't preach that at our church. I go, why? I think it's just marvelous. And they're going to go, because in our culture, if you're an orphan, you're a leftover. Second class. So I am so glad to teach them what, how wonderful is adoption. I have them repeat this in my class. And if I could ask you as well, could you join me by reading this out loud with me? It's an affirmation of our identity in Christ. Please join with me. I was adopted into God's family. God is my father. Christ is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my comforter. And every Christian is my brother too. Every day is one day near to being with Jesus forever. Therefore, I choose to live the rest of my life for God's glory by loving others. I am a child of God. To understand this is to give us the identity that we need and that is ours in Christ. These are part of the yardsticks or measurements of God's love. First being the cross. The cross reveals God's infinite love by which he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Someone says, how do I know God loves me? I would point them to the cross. But the second measurement of God's love, and often not thought about, is the gift of sonship. You see, our sonship reveals God's infinite plan to adopt abandoned orphans like us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Justification declares us righteous. But adoption guarantees our legal right to be heirs of Christ. Sonship then is God's ultimate purpose or goal for our salvation. That is to make wayward enslaved orphans eternal heirs. That's why we need to know about adoption. J. Packer again See, rights in knowing God expresses the importance of knowing about sonship. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. To know Christianity is to know and believe that you're a child of God. Paul thought this notion of adoption was essential and important to our understanding. 
the doctrine of the Holy Spirit dominated the Apostle Paul's mind as he wrote his second letter to the Corinthians. In Romans chapter 8, he mentioned the Holy Spirit at least 20 times while also using other various words to describe our sonship, like brothers, children of God, sons, adoption, Abba Father, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. But how do the doctrines of the Holy Spirit and sonship fit together? Let me try to explain it quickly. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to regenerate, bring new birth to sinners, and then secure them for adoption. The Spirit applies all that the Father ordained for our salvation and all that Christ accomplished on the cross for us. So Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8, claiming that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But who are those in Christ who can never be condemned? Who are they? They are the children of God. The children of God who have the Holy Spirit alive in them. It's a new day for his new creation. The reign of sin is dethroned and the reign of righteousness has begun. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 8. Otherwise, I will have it on the screen here for you. We want to look at this part of Romans 8 to see the emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the emphasis on sonship. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not, repeat, does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, we can read this as if it is sort of a, a doctrinal statement and then walk away from it. My friends, this is biblical truth. But it's intended to transform the way we think about God, the way we look at ourselves and the world around us. This is absolutely essential to having an appropriate and valid view of ourselves. The spirit of life has brought us new life. Those who have the spirit of life in them are God's children, is what Paul's saying. The Christian is no longer in the flesh, but he's in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is in us. The believer still struggles against the flesh, but now has the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower him in the battle against sin. 
So what distinguishes those in Christ from those in the flesh? Well, those who don't have the spirit of life in them are not God's children. Though there are two distinct families on the earth. Those whose father is the devil and those whose father is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, who's your father? The indwelling Holy Spirit secures our adoption into God's family. If someone claims to be a Christian, but the Holy Spirit does not dwell in them, then they are not born again and therefore are not the children of God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5 urged those who claimed to be Christians but were not living like one to examine themselves to see whether they really were in the faith. He said, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? And then he is the question, then he says, unless indeed you are disqualified. Paul further argued that if Christ is in us, the body is dead because of sin. He means if Christ is in us, the ruling power of sin over our bodies is dead. It no longer has authority over us. He isn't saying we no longer have a capacity no longer have a capacity to sin. Nor is he saying that there is a hope of sinless perfection this side of heaven. But he is saying sin doesn't have to rule our bodies and lives any longer. You can say no to sin. Our bodies are not our own. They were bought with a price. Christ purchased our bodies, our lives, our destiny when he died on the cross. And now we are told we are the temples, the vessels of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us so that we now may glorify God through them. And those who have the Spirit in life in them, them, Paul says, are raised to new life, to a new dimension of life. Just as we died And were buried with Christ. So we were raised with him from spiritual death. And someday, Lord willing, Maranatha, come quickly. We will be raised to eternal life. Did I hear an amen? I thought a a faint little amen out there. I want to make sure you get your points in there now. Even though the body will die someday, it will be redeemed. We will inherit a glorious new body created for the new dimension of heaven. And the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about is the seal. He's the guarantor, the pledge of this great hope. Now let's move on. Let's discover the difference that the Spirit can make and does make in our lives in Romans 8, 12, 13. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
What's the last line? You will live. The spirit of life. The spirit of life has begun a new work in us. Those who live by the spirit of life, therefore, are no longer debtors. No longer debtors to sin. You're no longer a debtor to the fleshly nature that we once had. In other words, we owe nothing to the old man. Not referring to myself. The old fleshly nature, the old sinful nature, that still harasses us. We do not need to obey its every demand. You, we have to be convinced of that. Instead, we are learning to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Paul says, and those who live by the Spirit, they put to death the deeds of the body because they do not have to obey it. Jesus taught this in allegorical language in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. This is proverbial, by the way. Just to make sure you understand that. Cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish. He's talking about members of the body. Than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus is making it clear. We are, not, we are to stop putting our bodies, our lives, in situations where we know we will be tempted to sin. Don't go there. Don't stay there. Do as Joseph did. Flee from there. But the person who thinks they can present their bodies and live right in the midst of known sin and temptation, they're vulnerable. Jesus has clearly told us it's better to, if you would, not present your body to sin, but to put it to death. If we don't kill sin in us, it eventually will kill us. Jim Elliot, who I read a lot about as a young man, he was one of the five martyred missionaries in Ecuador. He wrote this. When he speaks, he seems to resonate with me. He goes, we are required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. Instead, we are becoming sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers, while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us, you should say because, we are too much like its own. And then his prayer was, Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Dangerous Christians. Well, his prayer was answered. Would God make him dangerous? Not long after he spoke these words, he died at the hands 
of Alca Indians, not far from where I go in Peru. Why? Well, because the gospel is dangerous. It's dangerous to those who are the children of darkness. Why are we surprised at opposition? Why are we surprised by rejection? Why are we surprised that sometimes we face attack? Now we come to the last part of Romans 8, 14 to 17, to see how the Spirit adopts us into this wonderful, eternal family. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Those led by the Spirit of adoption, they are God's sons and daughters. Some see God as a cosmic killjoy. To others, he's a celestial Santa Claus. Some perceive God to be a heavenly parole officer, ready to throw us back in reform school if we break even one little more law. And still others see God as a cranky old man in retirement. I take offense to that. But it is essential for Christians to realize a simple thing that we may hear in a song or we can say to them, that God is our Father. Think of that. Ponder that. How profound. Our God has told us to call Him Father. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 18 quotes the Lord. The Lord says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And this thought should prompt us to echo, to listen to, to ponder the words of the Apostle John who wrote in 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Behold what manner, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, what's that last part? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Who's your father? God's adopted sons and daughters, he says, they're the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. This means more than just a gentle prodding or suggestion. The word here uses to lead, to drive out, or to drive on. And it was used in the Gospels to describe how the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Not because he was resistant, 
but because the Spirit was empowering Jesus to face the temptation that he would face face to face with Satan. For us, being led by the Spirit is in direct opposition and conflict to the leading of our flesh. It is God who must wrench our souls away from the pull and the tug and the slavery to the flesh. The urge and desire to follow God, therefore, is not of our natural inclination. But from the Holy Spirit who drives us, prods us, moves us into the hands of God. That's why the Bible says, no man seeks after God. Really. Rather, it is God who sought to adopt us as lost, wandering orphans. The Spirit leads us one step at a time in obedience to God. Sometimes we take two steps forward, and then what? Oops, one step back. But if you took one step forward, Out of obedience to God, you've come one step further in obedience. And that step is the work of the Spirit. It didn't come because you're better or that you're more diligent. It's because the Spirit is the one who wills to work in us to do God's pleasure. This is how we learn, friends. This is how we learn to live by faith and reliance upon God. The issue is not, the question is not whether the Spirit will lead us. But the question or the problem is whether we will follow. To walk according to the Spirit's leading is evidence of our sonship. Back again to J.I. Packer because he has so many good things to say about He said, God adopts us out of free love, not because of our character and records show us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the very opposite. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves as and exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. Yet that And nothing less than that is what our adoption means. I didn't hear anybody say. Thank you. Not amen for me, what I'm saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, the reason I think we need to affirm these things to be true. To live that way. And those led by the Spirit, they are adopted by God. We did not receive a spirit of bondage, he tells us, but it's a spirit of freedom, of liberty. And many people, including Christians, are haunted by fear. The fear of failure, the fear of abandonment, and the fear of death. Their minds are held hostage to old memories of hurt, guilt, failure, that keep running over and over again in their minds. And this kind of self-talk is not of God. It is not of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of our sin, but he's not one who's going to say, play that CD again. You're a loser. You're a failure. 
you don't count much. You're not worth much to God. That's not of God, okay? So if you hear those voices, that's not of God. Rather, the Holy Spirit promotes intimacy with the Father, not fear. He never taunts or enslaves us with thoughts of our unworthiness. Instead, as Paul says, he leads us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. Now the word Abba is an intimate Aramaic word for Father, similar to our English words, Dad, Daddy, and in some cases, Poppy. That's how my grandkids call me, Poppy. Poppy ice cream. (laughs) Abba speaks of intimacy and confident access to God as our Father. We have a great example of this intimacy that Christ had when he knelt in Gethsemane and he cried out to his Father, Abba, Dad, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. It was a cry of desperation. A cry of lamentation. He was about ready to drink the cup of his father's wrath for us. It was a cry of surrender. cry of surrender to his father's will. You know, maybe some of you can identify with this, but when my girls were young, they used to call out in the middle of the night something like this. Dad? 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 And he used to pretend that I was asleep. Now, good fathers wouldn't do that. And I kept hoping that my wife's maternal instincts would kick in. (laughs) And that she would go to the rescue. Instead, she poked me and said, they're calling for you. (laughs) And then she rolled over and went back to sleep. Well, I got up, kind of staggered down the hall into one of the girls' rooms, wondering what I would find. Sometimes it was just a frightened little girl awakened by a bad dream, needing a hug and some assurance, maybe pray with them. But other times, they needed someone to clean up a very messy job. And I'm reminded that I too have called out to God, Abba, Father, after a nightmarish day or week, Or a huge mess in my life that needed to be cleaned up. And the Lord hears my cry. He hears your cry. The Holy Spirit prompts us to cry out to our Heavenly Father. He wants us to do that. Our Father lovingly and joyfully hears our cry for deliverance. The same Spirit who comforted Jesus. In his hour of agony is the same spirit who bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. 
The spirit we have received, the spirit of adoption, is not the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Those led by the spirit of adoption are joint heirs with Christ. Listen to Galatians 4. God sent forth his son so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, that is the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you ever think of yourself as poor? If you live down Orange County, or don't, I don't want to hear that, Okay. Otherwise, you travel with me to some other places and you will see there's a big difference here. But the people that I go to, they can't believe this is true. It's so awesome. Living in a little hut to think that someday I'm an heir of Christ. What an amazing thing. As God's heirs, the Holy Spirit has given us the desire to live for Christ. Paul's prayer in Philippians 3, you've heard it many times, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ is to know his spirit's comfort and consolation. To know Christ is also to suffer with him in the kinds of sufferings that he had. To think otherwise is to not understand what it means to have fellowship with Christ. Suffering is the way of the cross. And because of our identity with Christ, we should expect and be ready for adversity and suffering. But God uses these times, these times of difficulty and suffering to help us develop and experience intimate fellowship with Christ that we would other not wise not know or have experience. In other words, God works all things together for good, even our adversity. Maybe especially. So when you're suffering, you could say, and he suffered for me, huh? I'm suffering, Father. (laughs) Father goes, yeah, I know. I watched my son do that for you. So if any of us suffer because of Christ, let us see this as our opportunity to share a new awareness of Christ and his sufferings for us when he was on the cross. Christ heirs our promised shared authority. Abiding affection, constant fellowship, a new name, a new glorified body, a new city, a new heaven, a new earth, and a crown of honor. Why? Because of the love of God that sent his son to the cross. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us into adoptions as his son and daughters. But what is this great inheritance that we're promised? Our greatest inheritance is Christ. Himself. 
the treasure of uninterrupted and unencumbered personal fellowship with him forever and forever. To be with him and enjoy his presence is the greatest inheritance we could ever, ever hope for. And he's qualified us to be partakers of his internal or eternal inheritance. You're qualified because Christ qualified you. He justified you, forgave you. So there's therefore now no condemnation so that you can enjoy the delights of being a son and daughter of God. To be heirs of Christ now and forever. Please repeat this with me again one more time. I'm not going to dismiss this until we do. (laughs) But when you read it, mean it for yourself. It's for you. I was adopted into God's family. God, Christ is the Holy Spirit. And every Christian, every day, is one day near to be with Jesus forever. Therefore, I choose to live the rest of my life for God's glory by loving others. Put that in your heart and your mind and treasure it. That will pull you through the roughest times of life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, help us to ponder afresh and new what it means to be a child of your child. To be justified, to be declared righteous, so that we can enjoy righteousness by work of your Holy Spirit. For those who are here this morning, may you reaffirm by the means of your Spirit that we are your sons and daughters. If those, there are those here this morning who are overwhelmed in grief, overwhelmed with feelings of uh, Rejection, feeling overwhelming feelings of inadequacy. May your spirit whisper in their hearts that they are the heirs of Christ. Lord, if there be one here this morning who, whose father is the devil, may the Holy Spirit convict them and give them faith to believe to believe in Jesus, that he died, was buried and resurrected on the third day and now is seated in heaven, ruling and reigning over everything. Give them the faith to believe and to confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you are their Father. For those of us who are here who know that we are your sons and daughters, assure us, reassure us of your love and your grace. Bind us together as family. Let nothing divide us. Let nothing cause us to discredit what it means to be a part of this forever family. Encourage each of us here this morning with these truths. Truths not from my lips, but from your word. May the Spirit bring encouragement and hope to people today.
In Jesus' name, amen.